Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Star Wars 7x7 episode 2686. We've been going over various criminal organizations in operation during the Galactic Civil War and shortly thereafter to consider which ones might play a role in the Book of Boba Fett. But there is one organization we haven't covered yet until today. It's Crimson Dawn and this episode is brought to you by the folks at Cufflinks.com. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy and thank you so much for joining me for it. So Crimson Dawn, when we started our journey looking at the various criminal organizations in the galaxy, we talked about the five syndicates, which were the five major players in organized crime in the galaxy, and we've covered four of them so far. Crimson Dawn is the final one we'll be talking about now. Here's what we know about Crimson Dawn, and we'll do this in the five takeaway format that we do on the podcast from time to time. We'll start by covering a couple of early stories about Crimson Dawn, although we don't know the order in which these two particular stories take place. If you'll recall from Solo, A Star Wars Story, at the end of the movie when our gang is on Saverine and they meet Enfys Nest, Enfys talks about a time when a bunch of awful people came to Saverine and the people rose up against them, or at least tried to, and for their trouble, those people all had their tongues cut out. Every man, woman, and child. Awful stuff. Well, that was Crimson Dawn, but we don't necessarily know when in the timeline that particular event took place. What we do know in timeline terms for a specific start date, if you will, a specific not origin date necessarily, but from the first moment that we are aware of them on the timeline, that happens in 19 BBY. There is a moment, it's one of those blink and you'll miss it moments, in that final story arc of season seven of the Clone Wars, where Maul is talking to various criminal organization leaders that are appearing on Hollows. Dryden Voss is one of those leaders, and that establishes that Crimson Dawn was in existence and working in 19 BBY, and that Maul was leading Crimson Dawn as part of his overall Shadow Collective. 
For a second top takeaway, we will consider the rest of Maul's run, which involves a couple of reminders of Maul's history. For a start, there is his surprise appearance at the end of Solo A Star Wars Story, where we find out that even though it appeared that Dryden Voss was the one who was running Crimson Dawn, nope, it turns out that Maul is actually the guy behind the scenes pulling all the strings. And at the moment, we don't really know a heck of a lot about Maul's history in between the events of the end of the Clone Wars and his appearance in Solo A Star Wars Story, but we do know the Shadow Collective basically fell apart and that the Pikes and Black Sun are not getting along too well with each other. We do know that Crimson Dawn has some sort of tenuous relationship with the Pikes that allows them to run Spice off a of Kessel, and it's entirely possible that Maul has made that happen because of his previous relationships with both Crimson Dawn and the Pikes from the Shadow Collective, except now Maul is specifically involved with Crimson Dawn and committed to that organization. And Maul will continue to lead the organization for a number of years. We don't necessarily know how long because at some point he starts losing his business again over Obi-Wan Kenobi and goes off to try to kill him in Star Wars Rebels. This happens in around 2 BBY and blows it <laughs> and Kenobi kills Maul instead. Now it's not clear from his appearances in Rebels whether he is still in charge of Crimson Dawn at the time, but certainly <laughs> when Obi-Wan kills him, he's not in charge anymore. So at that point, it seems Kira becomes the actual, in fact, leader of Crimson Dawn. For a third top takeaway, we will bring Kira forward as far as we're currently able to based on Star Wars storytelling. And it's about five, six years, you know, give or take, where something happens within a year. So from two BBY up until in between 3 and 4 ABY, as in between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, Kira is fully in charge of Crimson Dawn. Again, we don't necessarily know, you know when she officially took over from Maul, if it was when he died or if she had been running the show while he was out <laughs> obsessing over Kenobi in the interim or anything like that, but certainly she has been the public leadership face of Crimson Dawn for uh, going on 13 years and absolutely Absolutely, definitely in charge for at least five or more. And we know about her running Crimson Dawn in that time period between Empire and Jedi because of, once again, War of the Bounty Hunters, which is that multi-title comic book crossover event that I think just wrapped up, basically, for Marvel. And they have a new series coming up. It's going to be, I think, a five-issue limited series called Crimson Rain, which is going to focus on Kira specifically. But circling back to the War of the Bounty Hunters thing, by the way, we are in full spoiler territory for this, so you've been warned. We learn a lot of very interesting things about Kira as a result of this series. Number one, that she actually tried to get Han Solo back into the hands of the Rebellion. Number two, she has absolutely no love for the Empire. Number three, she sympathizes with the Rebellion. Number four, like any good scoundrel, she's only going to help the Rebellion if there's actually something in it for her. And number five, even though it seems like she does harbor feelings for Han at some level still, she has moved on from them to the point where she recognizes that Leia has feelings for Han and wants to see them reunited. So yeah, that's a lot, right? That's a lot to absorb. And in fact, there's a whole issue of Star Wars, of the flagship title in the comics releases, just about a whole issue that is one long conversation between Leia and Kira about various topics. 
And that's what we know so far about Crimson Dawn and Kira's involvement with it. Though we're going to learn more very soon because the Crimson Rain series that I just mentioned is going to be starting up, I believe, later this month, if I'm not terribly mistaken. And so, yeah, that five-issue limited series is going to give us even more insights into Kira's story. And we'll have to see how far into the future it actually takes us, though... From what I read online, Crimson Rain is essentially kind of a second part of a trilogy of stories that is being written by Charles Sewell that I think involves that whole galactic underworld situation. So it seems like there's a lot more to come and a lot more stories to tell. And that seems like a great way to segue into our fourth top takeaway, which has to do with rumors of the possibility of Kira appearing in Star Wars live action storytelling. First off, I'll say that Amelia Clark has made no secret about her desire to return as Kira. She loves the character, she is deeply invested in the character, would love to play her again. But she did an interview in June of 2021 where she said that she's heard, quote, absolutely nothing, unquote, about the possibility of reprising her role as Kira. That had to come as a splash of cold water on the rumor mill because as early as last year, 2020, there had been rumors of a mall series being in development and that Amelia Clark would play a prominent role in that series. There were rumors of her appearing in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series and being involved in scripts on there. There was talk of her being involved in the Lando series somehow, which kind of makes sense, but nobody knows anything about that series whatsoever. And bizarrely enough, I haven't seen any conversation, rumor, leak, spoiler, nothing about the possibility of her appearing in the Book of Boba Fett series. That seems crazy. So just dialing back, the Lando series, well, you know, it kind of makes sense because we're operating under the presumption that it would be a younger Lando series and that would put him in a timeline where Kira would be operating. So kind of makes sense that that character would appear. As for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, well, it seems like if that were to happen, it would have to be under some very specific and limited circumstances because of the fact that Maul is obsessed with Obi-Wan Kenobi. And so if Kira gets wind of Kenobi and Maul gets wind of Kira knowing something about Kenobi, well, then that kind of throws the whole timeline situation for a loop because we know that Maul doesn't realize that Kenobi is on Tatooine until 2 BBY, so eight years after the events of Solo A Star Wars Story. So it just, it doesn't seem like the, the timing works for that. I just, I don't see how it's supposed to take place roughly around the same time as Solo A Star Wars Story, the Kenobi series. And so, yeah, Kira having anything to do with Obi-Wan, it just doesn't feel right. As far as the possibility of Kira appearing in the Book of Boba Fett and Crimson Dawn by extension, and also just while we're at it, talking about a very unusual and surprising connection between Kira and Crimson Dawn and the Rise of Skywalker, we'll make that our fifth top takeaway and we'll get there in just a moment. But first, I want to take a pause and say thank you once again to the fine folks at cufflinks.com that are partnering with us on the podcast this month. So I'm curating the final set of accessories for myself this month on on Monday, I talked about the Mandalorian holiday tie that I'm wearing, and this time I am pairing it up with a lovely white silk pocket square, which if you look very closely at it, you'll see it is patterned with First Order Stormtrooper helmets. 
I figured the tie was loud and attention getting enough that I needed to go a little subtle with the pocket square. It's just another example of how many awesome options you have at cufflinks.com in addition to them being the official exclusive license provider of cufflinks for Star Wars. They also have so many other amazing accessories and not just Star Wars ones, also for Marvel, also for sports teams and luxury high-end brands. It's just amazing. Thousands upon thousands and you can take 15% off all of it, all of it site-wide with no minimum purchase. All you have to do is go to cufflinks.com and use code SW7X715 at checkout. One more time for you, that is promo code SW7X715 at cufflinks.com. All right, so let's talk about that fifth and final takeaway, which has to do with the possibility of Kira appearing in the Book of Boba Fett and also a surprising tie between her and Crimson Dawn and the Rise of Skywalker. So, I have a couple of books on order and still waiting for them to arrive, hopefully next week. One of them is an in-universe book called The Smuggler's Guide, and another one of them is a reference book written by Pablo Hidalgo called Scum and Villainy. And knowing that the fine folks at Lucasfilm like to sneak in little teasers and Easter eggs into previously published material, well, it seemed like the right thing to do. And as I did research for this series, I kept seeing references to those two books and information contained within them. As far as Crimson Dawn goes, one of the things that is referenced in Wikipedia is the notion that Crimson Dawn's power waned after the events of Return of the Jedi. But we don't yet know when they fell out of favor. We do know that at some point there was a hut and this is another War of the Bounty Hunters situation, there was a hut that had been working for Crimson Dawn, so yeah, going against the Hut Clan, that's pretty remarkable. But we just don't have a sense of how fast Crimson Dawn went into decline, so as to whether they are involved in the Book of Boba Fett, uh, can't really say for sure. That being said, my goodness, if they are trying to, at Lucasfilm, develop multiple series with the aim of eventually leading to one giant crossover event, wouldn't it make sense to tie in a Lando series somehow to the Book of Boba Fett and have it be some sort of crazy, you know, underworld larger storytelling situation? Yes, we know that the Mandalorian and the Ahsoka series and what, you know, would have been Rangers of the New Republic, whatever that situation is, like that was all supposed to be building to its own climactic story event, but you could certainly do that with a whole underworld situation and start that with the Book of Boba Fett. I know that's just hypothesis and speculation at this point, but what you really need to know is that Crimson Dawn is in operation, as far as we know, during the time of the Book of Boba Fett. We just don't have a good sense for their influence at the time. We just know that it was waning and that by the time we get to the events of the sequel era, the common conception seems to be that Crimson Dawn is not a thing at that point. We just don't know how fast they went downhill. As for that surprising Rise of Skywalker connection, well, you remember how Luke and Lando were searching for the Sith Wayfinder and trying to find where Exegol was, and they were tracking Ochi of Bastoon? Well, it turns out, according to the most recent Darth Vader comic, that Ochi of Bastoon is a Crimson Dawn agent. At least he was in the time between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And I'll tell you, if that doesn't fry your noodle, I don't know what will because knowing that 
Kira is no love for the Empire. That means she has no love for the Emperor either. And so if the Emperor was sending Ochia Bastoon off to try to find Rey, what are the chances that Kira might have still been alive and still had some sort of influence over Ochia Bastoon at that particular point in the galactic timeline and might have thrown a monkey wrench into the works, into Emperor Palpatine's attempts to get a hold of his baby granddaughter. And if that all sounds just a little bit outrageous to you, well, I'll simply remind you that there's a novel coming out in June of 2022 called Shadow of the Sith by Adam Christopher, and it's specifically about Luke and Lando hunting for Ochi of Bastoon. So yeah, Ochi is big on their minds, and yeah, he's tied to Crimson Dawn. Oh, I think we've got a lot to learn about that whole situation. And that right there is going to do it for today's episode of the show. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it as always. And may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Star Wars 7x7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited by their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.